Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Scott McKenna to my Joe Worrell. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, um, have you lost the ability to tell what time it is? Because you were mighty late for this podcast today. It's just technical issues. It happens. We all go through them. I, I expect some sympathy from you, but alas, you know, you can do no wrong, can you, Ryan? I, I always have sympathy for you, but then that sympathy starts to wear when you tend to be late for every single podcast we do. I mean, we, we've been doing this for two and a half years now, and I reckon you've been late for 90% of it. That's okay. You know, I still bring the goods, don't I? So can't complain. Yeah, you might say that, but um, some might disagree. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to look ahead to some of the big games coming up in the championship this weekend. Well, some of the big games are actually going ahead this weekend. We're going to talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with the Craig Bryson pub quiz right at the end. But before we get underway, dear listener, let me tell you about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of bet £10, get £30 plus 10 free spins when you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit BeGambleAware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. Let's kick things off, Justin, with a game that looked like a thigh rubber at the start of the season. Then a few weeks ago, it wasn't as much of a thigh rubber, but now is a thigh rubber once again. It's Fulham v Sheffield United, the game on Monday night. Fulham top of the league, but winless in four. Sheffield United stinking out the place before now looking revitalised once again. Are you excited about this one, Peachy? I am, actually. I really am, because you've got a Fulham side who, as you say, have drawn the last uh, few games, so you've got to be thinking, how are they going to react? And then you've got this Sheffield United side who look resurgent under Paul Heckingbottom. Obviously, didn't play this um, in the last game week, so that might have an impact on how they how they come up against Fulham. But yeah, really excited because it's going to be two good teams with two good managers going head-to-head. Yeah, definitely. Sheffield United have been sort of a sleeping giant, really, haven't they? Everyone is mm. wary of what they could be, but they were simply just stinking out the place. Now, it's only a small sample size, but two wins, two good wins at that. And it looks like, I wouldn't say... The giant has awoken just yet, but it's stirring, isn't it? And I think <laughs> a win here, then that giant will definitely be awake. And it would show me that Sheffield United mean business. And we always say, don't we, three or four wins in this league, you're flying. You only have to look at Blackburn for that. Four wins and they're wedged in the playoffs. If you get seven or eight wins in a row, then you're right up there, aren't you? Around the automatics at the very least. And... This isn't something unusual, is it? We've seen it plenty of times before in the Championship. Fulham a few years ago, Villa a few years ago. To a lesser extent, Watford last season. I think Sheffield United are capable of being that team. And I'm wary that in a month's time, I could look very silly saying that. But (laughs) there are signs that this is a different Sheffield United side. And if any team is going to dash out from the pack, it looks like it's going to be them, doesn't it? It's hard to disagree with you because they've got everything you need to be a good championship side. They've got players who possess a lot of championship experience. They've got a lot of good players. They've got a lot of um, 
you know, quite a few young players who are, are incredibly talented. Um, and they've got a, a manager who knows how to get the best out of them. Um, so really, you, you put all that together and it's yeah, it's the makings of a, a very good championship side that can compete at the top end of the table. Obviously, things aren't as cut, cut and dry as that in the championship. So you've got to ask other questions whether the players have got the... Um, the mentality to do it after such a, a rough Premier League season and a bad start to this season. But first, uh, the last two games show Paul Heckenbottom is turning that tide. It remains to be seen whether they can carry that on. But if they do, yeah, they're, they're going to be a they're going to be a hard team to beat. They certainly look a lot more confident than they did early in the season, don't they? I don't think you gave them enough credit then when you talk about championship experience in this side. <laughs> How many players have they got who have won promotion? Not just with Sheffield United, we've also got the likes yeah. of Conor Hurahan, for example, who's won promotion God knows how oh, many yeah. times now. Yeah. Um, and then when you mix that in with the players that you mentioned, you know, the Morgan Gibbs White has just been incredible in the last month or so. Um, and he's starting to look like he could be one of the players in the division this season who were really pulling their team alongside them. So, yeah, really bright times for Sheffield United. What about Fulham, Justin? Despite them being winless in four, we've been saying they haven't done much wrong and it looks to be only a matter of time before they get back to normal. A win here would certainly be a way for them to show that they are back, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. They're, they, they're like a seesaw that's just stuck balancing between both sides. Um <laughs> probably more so on the attacking side of it um, in terms of leaning towards getting a result. And that's how I see Fulham. I think they are sort of inches away from uh, from bagging uh, another three uh, well three points that will will set them on a, a good run again for me um as you know like Sheffield United they've got a very good squad they've been doing all, all the all the right things over the last um few games it's just been getting that second goal to kill the game for example obviously didn't quite happen against Bournemouth they couldn't put their chances away obviously they went one nil down leaves them a, a very big hill to climb against a, a team chasing promotion um but as I say, they're doing all the right things. They're creating plenty of chances. They're getting key players into games. It's probably just a bit of a mid-season slump. And if your mid-season slump is just drawing four games in a row, then it's not that bad, is it? No, no, I'd agree with that. I think, despite what we've been saying about both these teams, I think this game could tell us a lot about where they are um, in terms of where they're going to go next um, so I wouldn't get too carried away with it because it is obviously just the one result but both teams look like they're both um, going in different ways somewhat to um, how they have been um, but I mean as I say a win would do marvellous things for both wouldn't it Justin let's move on to Boa v Bournemouth kind of similar to the first game in a way isn't it Bournemouth still in the top two but struggling as of late while Middlesbrough or another side who look a lot better under a new manager. What are you thinking here, Justin? Again, you've got a team out of form um, with, with Scott Parker's Bournemouth, but you've got a team who, again, it's so it's strange how they're very parallel to the Fulham Chevrolet United game um, because you've got Chris Wilder's Borough who are looking resurgent and, and much better under him and his style of play. So I think in terms of stars, uh, style of play as well, both teams are fairly similar in how they want to press. Um, obviously, differ in terms of uh, maybe how they want to play the ball. But I think this is going to be a very tough game for for Bournemouth. Obviously, it's going to be a tough game for Borough. But if I, if we're going to predict results, I would lean towards um, Borough mainly because they're in a much better place than Bournemouth are at the moment on the pitch um, and form wise as well. I'd agree with that, and I think I've said that. I think this will be the third time I've said it in three episodes in a row but it's shocking to say that about Bournemouth um, I think you've just got two teams here who have differing levels 
of confidence at the moment. Bournemouth do look a little bereft of confidence compared to how they were earlier in the season. And who knows what damage that Blackburn defeat could have done at the weekend. It could be one of those where it's really knocked it out of them. Only time will Mm -hmm. tell, but they're definitely lacking the confidence that they had earlier in the season, the swagger that they had earlier in the season. Whereas Middlesbrough are a side who look like they're gaining in confidence very quickly, don't they? Chris Wilder has certainly instilled that. I don't think they were particularly lacking it too much under Warnock, but you can see the side are coming together as a unit, starting to get more confidence. And that's why, yeah, I'm looking, I'm going into this game thinking Middlesbrough could be good value for the win here against mm-hmm. a Bournemouth side who are really struggling at the moment. There's no denying it. They are really struggling at the moment. Uh, Chris Wilder admitted after the game at the weekend that a number of his players suffered knocks whether any of them are particularly serious, we'll have to wait and see. I know Matty Crooks in particular was one who they've got a bit of concern about. So whether he starts or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But obviously he's been a really key player for them so far this season. Interesting stat here for you, Justin. Bournemouth have got eight games in a row on telly. So we're definitely going to be seeing a lot of the cherries over the next few weeks or so. The game mm. from Friday night. It's the Valerie and Ishmael derby. Barnsley v West Brom. The first time Ishmael has gone back to Oakwell since leaving the Reds uh, in the summer. I'm, I'm guessing he'll get good reception from Barnsley fans, won't he, Justin? You'd have thought so, but I don't think I don't think Barnsley fans are those types of fans who can forgive and forget very quickly. I remember. What are they, um, for, what are they forgiving him for? Leaving them. I don't well, know. He's gone on to a bigger thing, hasn't he? But yeah, you, you've got to. I think when you're in Ishmael's shoes, you've got to say, right, behind the scenes at Barnsley, it's been a bit of a mess over the past few months. Hasn't True. It? Yeah. So yeah. when a big club, a club who are undoubtedly fighting for promotion this season, like West Brom, come along and say, oh, do you want a long-term contract? Is anyone really going to say to Valerie and Ishmael, right, you've done us dirty there? No, but. We're forgetting how fickle football fans are. I'm fickle. You're fickle. We're all fickle. Um, and I, I was going you know, to tell a nice anecdote, but you ruined it. Um, it's not a nice anecdote. Tell anyway. It involves Jason Shackle getting abuse for, obviously, he left Barnsley to sign for Derby, and Barnsley fans didn't appreciate that. But it's easy to get on the backs of, of former managers and, 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 and players, especially... Ishmael, who will be very animated on the touchline, he will want his team to win. And um, if I was an opposition supporter who would, uh, of a manager who had just delivered one of our best seasons in the last 20 years, then I'd get a bit frustrated at that. I'd get a bit hurt by it. I'd be heartbroken, in fact. I don't think Barnsley fans can hold anything against him for leaving, especially because of how you look how they are now. They've clearly struggled. They didn't really strengthen enough in the summer, did they? So I think Ishmael... He obviously did the right thing in leaving. You only have to look at where the two clubs are now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Barnsley fans can complain too much about him leaving. But nonetheless, at the risk of cursing West Brom like we cursed Bournemouth last week, Justin, I struggle to see Barnsley causing many problems for the baggies here. I suppose the only concern is whether the COVID outbreak at West Brom has caused any more problems, although it didn't seem to cause any issues on the pitch last <laughs> week, did it? Well, yeah, West Brom are very good at um, filling space. They've got a very versatile squad. Uh, you look at Adam Reed, who played centre-half, for example. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very versatile squad, and I think Ishmael will, will coach that into his players very well. And as I say, I think having that one system of play, uh, Val Ball, I think that helps them um, because they're not having to 
change formations and having to change how they play. Everyone's drilled into the same same mode. But then again, Barnsley have been and have shown that they are harder harder to beat. They are harder to score against. Not doing much going up forwards themselves, but they are showing more signs of life. Um, we, we'll keep saying this until they get a winner thing. But I think I think it's going to be a harder game, especially when you consider the the camp is probably weakened at West Brom. Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult game for Barnsley, whatever the case. We keep saying they've been improving. When I say improving, we're talking a matter of 1% to 5% each week. It is it's not, progress. It's progress, but it's minor progress to say the very least. So th- things are looking bad for Barnsley at the moment. You're going to have to look at the table to see that. Derby have nearly caught up with them. Um, and at the moment, I'd say that's still a realistic possibility that Derby could overtake them. So yeah, West Brom... I wouldn't be fearing anything heading into this game this weekend. Let's move on to the final game we'll preview just in for the coming weekend. Coventry v Stoke. You'd say two teams who started the season very well, both with not as much momentum as they had before for different reasons. What are you thinking ahead of this one, Justin? Well, obviously, Stoke again are patched up, but I think that the key thing here is is how that relationship between Vrancic and Campbell starts to play out. Um, we know that Vrancic, I mean, we were we were waxing lyrical at the start of the season, how 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 effective Vrancic is and how good he is at creating chances. And you've got such a deadly finisher in Tyrese Campbell. It's how that relationship is going to start clicking now. And I think we've got a couple of games behind them each. Um, I think it's a, a good time for that to get going, especially during the, the Christmas period where games start to get congested. Um, and then you've got a commentary side who probably had one of the best performances of the season against Huddersfield, but only managed to scrape a draw. Um, and they're, they're obviously a side that are stuttering. They're giving teams opportunities to to, to score against them um, in the sense that they're, they're giving them head starts. Uh, and it's it's not the, the ideal thing. I think if they give Stoke the lead here, Stoke aren't, aren't daft enough to, to let it go. They're, they're not naive enough to, to allow Coventry back into the game. So I think it's going to be a difficult game for Coventry. Um, and it's a good time for Stoke to get that form uh, up and running again. So you're edging more towards Stoke for this one? I, I, de- I definitely am. I think they're in a, a better position, even squad-wise. I know they've got a lot of players missing, but as I say, that relationship between Vrancic and Campbell is, is going to be key in the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah, definitely Stoke for me. I struggle to split these two teams, to be quite honest. I think Coventry have been steadily declining, whereas Stoke have been declining, but every so often they'll have a, you know, a, a slight blip. Like yeah, a spike, yeah, a, a blip, but the opposite of a blip, if you know what I mean, um, where they go, oh, actually, despite the moment of injuries, they look quite good, um, whereas Coventry just seem to be going on a steady decline, really. So, yeah, it, it's really hard to split these two teams because at, at the same time, when I say Stoke have had spikes every so often, sometimes they've also looked quite poor and you could mm-hmm. see that they're clearly lacking uh, the players that they desperately need. But both are sitting sixth and seventh in the table. There are other teams who I think are more likely to finish in the top six now. Um, that's not to completely rule them out. A win for either side would do a lot for strengthening their respective playoff pushes. I think we can both agree on that, can't we? Stoke are expected to name a similar side to the one that drew with Borough at the weekend with some key players still missing through injury. Meanwhile, Mark Robbins has been changing around his side due to players dropping in form. We'll be interested to see whether Jody Jones starts. He's got an assist at the weekend and hasn't had much first-team football over the past few years due to multiple serious injuries, but seems to be getting back to his very best. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news in the Championship from the past few days. 
back to the Second Tier Podcast. Just a reminder, we've got a YouTube channel. We've got uh, plenty of ideas coming up for the next few weeks. We're trying to do a video a week with varying degrees of success. One video I'm trying to get out before this weekend is five championship players to break out in 2022. So head on over to our YouTube channel. It's called The Second Tier. Subscribe to us and get ready for more content from us. And that's never a bad thing, is it? More content from the likes of us, Justin. That's what the people want. All right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and QPR's match against Sheffield United, which was meant to take place on Monday night, was postponed and so has their fixture against Swansea this weekend. Meanwhile, Reading's game at home to Luton has also been called off along with Millwall's match against Preston. It's all because of Covid outbreaks amongst the QPR, Reading and Millwall squads. Justin, I'm asking you something here that you simply can't answer because you don't have a crystal ball to look into the future. But with <laughs> QPR, Reading and Millwall having to postpone games, we saw Derby and West Brom both have numerous players out with COVID the weekend just gone. It feels like we're heading back to where we were nearly a year ago, doesn't it? It does a little bit, yeah. Um, it's, it is worry. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to pander to the, the modern media where we drill in sort of be careful, you, you will get code if you go outside, because that's not the case. But um, it, it is a worry, and uh, you know, no one wants to see games get postponed. But at the end of the day, it's about keeping obviously players safe, but more importantly, keeping supporters safe because everyone's going to be crammed into grounds, um, and it's going to obviously heighten the risk of, of um, transmission. So, uh, you know, we've got to take that into consideration as well. But you know, hopefully, it doesn't get really bad to the extent where we're having to have a two, three week circuit breaker postponement um fingers crossed that doesn't happen yeah well i i struggled to see us getting to the point where football just doesn't happen because even when the last time we had the lockdown i'm right in saying football carried on didn't it so i think yeah we'll at least still have football of course that's not the priority when there's you know a health pandemic going on but it does seem like we're heading in one direction Unfortunately, I'm getting too way too political for this podcast, Justin. Um, I, I suppose the other aspect of the COVID cases is that now that QPR have had two games postponed, which is obviously worse than uh, the other teams who we've mentioned here, will this affect QPR at all down the line? Of course, we saw what happened with Rotherham last season, where they had to play a ridiculous amount of games in such a short amount of time. Now, it's worth pointing out Rotherham had what was it, six or seven games postponed yeah. over the course of the second yeah. half of the season. I think it was. I don't want to completely put that down as the reason why Rotherham were relegated because I think they just weren't very good as well. But it certainly didn't help, it did it? And could it affect QPR later down the line, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it was a big factor in, in terms of pushing Rotherham over the edge in terms of relegation. They, obviously, they, were, they, were, they weren't great, but um, it didn't help matters, as you say. Um, I think it could impact QPR. I think this is where the the need for putting those COVID bubbles back into place for, for clubs. Because obviously I think everyone's, I wouldn't say being, everyone's been complacent, um, but everyone's sort of forgotten about COVID. Uh, it's been business as usual to some extent over the last few months. So putting those COVID bubbles back into place so they avoid repeat postponements is, is going to be massive. And that can, that can weirdly, because it's now impacting games, that could be the difference between finishing top six, top two, 
in the bottom three. So putting those bubbles back into place is going to be massive for, for clubs. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see how many games are postponed over the next few weeks because they're not going to be the last, are they? The ones we've had already. There may no. even be more no. this weekend. Touchwood, hopefully it's not, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are more games that are cooled off before this weekend actually happens and then there'll be more in the future. So it's down to the EFL schedulers again to try and work out how it's going to work. Of course, for teams like QPR, you've got to remember that it's not just an extra game they'll have to play. It's It will affect the games around them as well because they won't have mm-hmm. as much rest as the teams yeah. they're going to be coming up against, probably. So, yeah, it's, it's going to have an impact in some way or form. Um, I suppose QPR are quite fortunate in a way that they have got more squad depth than the majority of teams in the division, but it's going to have an effect no matter how much depth you've got. Um, spectators will need to show proof of a double vaccination against COVID-19 or a negative lateral flow test to attend sporting events with crowds of more than 10,000 people. It's after MPs approved government plans. For anyone who's wondering, every ground in the championship has a maximum capacity of over 10,000, although... Luton have pointed out that they don't give out all their seats for games and haven't had a capacity of more than 10,000 in 30 years. So that looks like it'll be the only ground in the championship where the measures don't come into play. So there you go, Kenilworth Road. Uh, Away from COVID and the latest with Derby, Justin, the Telegraph says administrators are close to naming a preferred bidder. They're in talks with three parties. And while there are said to be numerous factors that still need to be considered, the administrators are confident of a sale going through. Justin, you excited? Well, I kind of be excited because we were many here who was the preferred bidder three weeks ago. Um, like, come on, we're getting into BZI territory where we're waiting for this to happen. It's a bit of a piss take, and like I said, get your fingers out, administrators, because they've they've even stopped communicating to supporters, which has really frustrated me the most. They were very open and transparent at the start um, of the the administration process, and now over the last three or four weeks they've gone very quiet obviously they're very busy um but they are making a lot of money as well and you know give back in some way that's what i'm saying okay just impeach as harsh as ever with these administrators um if only you were this harsh with mel morris double transfer news for forest (laughs) (laughs) i was not very nice Yeah, that's a good point. You were, you were very critical of Mel Morris all the time, weren't you? You weren't there in the first couple of years. Just going to say that. <laughs> Double transfer news for Forrest now. Again, according to the Telegraph, their priority is signing a striker in January. Villa's, Villa's Keenan Davis, Arsenal's following Balogun are amongst those on the shortlist for the Tricky Trees. Uh, Justin, we've talked up Forrest quite a lot recently on the show, haven't we? If they were to sign a striker in January, how much more confident would you feel about them and whatever their ambitions are for the rest rest of the season, a lot more confident. Um, I like Lewis Graben a lot, but he's he is getting older, um, and I don't think you can rely on a 33, 34 year old to to keep putting chances away for the full duration of the season. Especially if we're seeing games get called off, so fixture schedule is going to get more crammed um, uh, as well. Um, and Lyle Taylor hasn't really uh, convinced Forest supporters or anybody else that he's the man to be that sort of backup striker um, so I think bringing in a, a forward I think of the Keenest Davis mould where he's a bit more of a target man a bit more of a hold up player I think will be will be massive because he can get the talented players uh, around him in the game um, Balogun would be equally as as, as um, impressive a signing because he's got a little bit more about him in terms of with the ball but yeah I think they need a forward to really push them towards the top six finish if they don't I think they'll finish it in around the playoffs 
Yeah, I could agree with that. I think when you go through the side, I think the last piece of the puzzle probably is the striker position, which is weird mm-hmm. considering you've got two strikers there who have had um, very good championship seasons under their belts. Well, Gravin's had multiple good championship seasons under his <laughs> belts, hasn't he? But you're right, he is getting old. Um, and if they do get a striker who gets, you know, 10 goals in the remainder of the championship season, they'll have done a good enough job, really, won't they? Um, yeah it'll be very interesting to see who they do get because there are quite a few clubs who from the sounds of it are looking to get strikers in in uh, January in more good news for Forrest Justin the Telegraph says wingback Jed Spence wants to stay at the city ground for the rest of the season he's on loan from Middlesbrough who have the option to recall him next month do you think he will stay because I think despite him wanting to stay that doesn't necessarily mean he is going to stay does it? Mm. I don't think he's spoken to Chris Wilder yet because if he's spoken to Chris Wilder, no disrespect to Steve Cooper or Forrest, but if I speak to Chris Wilder and he tells me to go on a rival podcast, I'm going to go on to a rival podcast because Chris Wilder is a very convincing man, isn't he? Let's be honest. You'd you'd be swayed, Ryan. You'd be swayed. I, I, I don't think I would. I, I'm 100% committed to the second tier. If you cut open these veins, it bleeds black and white. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Chris Wilder. But it's Chris Wilder. I, I don't care what Chris Wilder tells me to do. I'm, I'm second tier for life, baby. And speaking of Middlesbrough, Football Insider say they're in advance talks to sign two strikers on loan. They also reported that Borough were keen to get Dwight Gale from Newcastle last week. Um, so, yeah, another team looking to get a striker. Meanwhile, Football League World claims a host of championship clubs are sniffing around Brentford striker Marcus Force. The Bees are said to be willing to let him go out on loan next month. As I say, there sure are a lot of strikers up for grabs in January, aren't mm-hmm. there? There seems to, there seems to be loads of clubs in need of strikers. Here's a question for you, Justin: Out of all the strikers we mentioned, Keenan Davis, following Balogun, Dwight Gale, and Marcus Force, who would you want most out of them? That's a really difficult question. Definitely not Dwight Gale. Um, Why? I, he's not he's not played enough games over the last couple of years. But we're talking about uh, someone who's scored. He seems to have scored at least 20 goals a season every season that he's been in the Championship. Yeah, he's a goal scorer, no doubt. But for me, his injury record and his uh, the amount of games he's played over the last couple of years, I don't think is enough to convince me that he's a better option than the likes of Marcus Force, Balogun or Keenan Davis. Um, I like Marcus Force a lot and I think he's shown that he can compete at Championship level and he's just waiting for the opportunity for a consistent run of games in the forward position because he was played out wide a lot for Brentford last season. Um, so I, I'd lean towards Marcus Force. Keenan Davis, again, would be a player that I, I quite like as well. Balogun's probably second bottom in that list, mainly because he's not played enough senior games for me to be able to judge him. Keenan Davis is one of them who I look at and say, if he's been at Villa for this long, why hasn't he played more games? Because I think he's 23 now, isn't he? 23. Yeah, he's not, he's not a young pup. Yeah. And he's barely played for Villa. So... There is that question, but at the same time, I suppose you could argue if he's been at Villa for that long, they must see something in him. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a bit on the fence about Keenan Davis. Force, I get what you mean. He's he's an interesting one because he, he really impressed uh, for Brentford in the cameo spells that he had. He, he was obviously kept exactly. out of the team yeah. by Ivan Tony, And then uh, following Balogun is... Um, someone who's a bit of a wild card option for me in the way that he's very highly thought of by people at Arsenal, but obviously we haven't seen enough of him to know mm-hmm. whether he'll be able to actually cut it at this level because there have been plenty of strikers who we've heard plenty of about, then they've come to the Championship and not really pulled up any trees. So, yeah, yeah. He, he's going to be an interesting one. I think for me, Dwight Gale is a safe bet. I think you'll get 
um, around 10 goals out of him if he does go out on loan. Uh, Marcus Force is kind of in the middle and then Balogun's a wild card. So you've got Force in the middle for me who would probably be in between wild card and safe bet. So make of that what you will. Uh, final bit of transfer gossip, Justin, is an interesting one. The Sun says Barcelona are interested in Coventry left-back Ian Martson. The teenage Dutchman is on loan from Chelsea, but how about that? Another championship left-back potentially going to a European superpower. Yeah, obviously it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird one, um, but I think it uh, it shines a light on the, the healthy standard of coaching in the championship. You've got quality players dropping into into the championship on loan for Premier League clubs. Obviously, Barton's from Chelsea, but whilst I don't expect him to go to Barca anytime soon, it's yeah, it's shining a light on the, the goodness the championship brings to everybody. Well, I, I think Martin's a really good player. You've got to remember he's only 19, but for me, he's been one of the best left-backs in the championship this season. He's been absolutely phenomenal for Coventry so far this season. So he's someone I really like the look of. It wouldn't surprise me if he does end up playing for Chelsea um, in the long term or some other European superpowers we've been discussing here. So, yeah, someone I really like. And then finally, Justin, after their game against QPR was postponed, Sheffield United have donated all the food that was prepared for the game to two local charities, which is nice, isn't it? Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right, settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. I've just got to guess who it is. The score currently is 6-5 to myself. It's been a long, long time since one of us didn't get one right here. Could today be the day? I bloody hope not. Justin, can I have the first clue, please? You can. I've made 250 appearances, scoring 40 goals. Ooh, okay. Um, I'll go for somebody like... Carlos Edwards. Carlos Edwards, no. Again, you fall on the same players, first guess every time. I don't anyway. think I've ever guessed Carlos Edwards. <laughs> he comes up fairly often. I started my career at Wimbledon before being absorbed by MK Dons. Absorbed, as in. Well, they became MK Dons. So they didn't they? Wow, interesting. Yeah, he, he wasn't. Uh, what a traumatizing no experience it. for him. Um, <laughs> Wimbledon to MK Dons. Uh, I will go. I can't think of anyone. Nicky Maynard. No, it's, did he play for MK Dons? I think he did, did he he play there? for MK Dons, but I can't remember if he started there or not. It's, it's a no, but that's an interesting one. I might have to Google him after. Anyway, I made my name in non-league with Exeter before getting my big move straight to the championship with Plymouth. Oh, God. Right. That Plymouth side from 2006-2007 is. Um, who on earth played in that side? They're full of household names. I can't believe you're not getting this. Like Romaine Larryu. I was going to say Romaine Larryu, but then I remembered he's a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I can't name anyone from that side unless I'm seriously forgetting someone. Justin, next clue, please. I then moved to QPR, where after a great start to my career, I broke my leg. Is it Akos Bazaki? It is not Akos Bazaki. Did he play for Plymouth? I think, I think he did. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good shout. I was thinking players who play for Plymouth and QPR, but uh, no one else came to mind. How many clues have I got left? Two. You've got two left, okay. yeah. Next one, please. 
I then scored eight goals in the Premier League the following season before moving to Nottingham Forest and Reading on loan before a move back to QPR. It's um, it's Mackey, isn't it? Jamie Mackey. Mm, yeah, I thought completely. I, thought, for- I might have got you there. Completely forgot he played for Plymouth. Well, he yeah, he went he went straight from non-league to Plymouth. This the first is the original Jamie Vardy. Yeah, okay, sort okay. Of. See, whenever and I hear him on Sky, because he's on Sky Sports all the time now. Um, yeah. He's got a very like London accent, hasn't he? Or very southern yeah, accent at yeah. least. So yeah, I always I just assumed mean. he'd be from a London club. But yeah, but once uh, you gave me the clubs there, I think I was always going to get it to be honest because. He's had quite a familiar route, hasn't he? Uh, what's the final clue? Give us that. I went viral drawing the first lockdown after doing a dance on TikTok with my daughter. <laughs> and what a dance as well. Uh, his, his biggest moment in, that I always remember is him scoring. He did score, didn't he? He scored in the Man City QPR game. Yeah, when Man City won the league, yeah. yeah he scored that, in that game. He scored QPR's second, I think. Yeah. Wonderful header, wasn't it? Big diving it header. That, that's my main memory of him. But uh, what a player. Jamie Mackey, ladies and gentlemen. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's another episode of the second tier. Just before we go, something I don't think we do enough, Justin. I wanted to give a thank you to the listeners who listen to us week in, week out. Because we really do appreciate it. We do put in a lot of hard work into this podcast, despite what some might say. Uh, but we do do a lot of research in this <laughs> podcast. And it all means a hell of a lot more when we get you know good feedback from you guys who clearly enjoy the show and listen to us week in, week out means an awful lot to us um so thank you to those of you who do listen week out week in week out if you do listen just sporadically then thank you to as well we still appreciate you nonetheless um and we'll keep on doing as much content as we possibly can over the next god knows how long until we get bored of this project justin and um, we'll be back again on sunday to talk about the games coming up this weekend in the championship until then uh, this has been the second tier podcast i've been ryan dilks I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.